Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. I wonder what, uh, what your house was like you know, growing up, what you, um, what you grew up in. I was, was having a conversation with someone here at, at Redemption, and, uh, and they were just, you know, telling me about how they didn't really grow up uh, knowing Jesus. They didn't grow up talking about um, God, the church. They didn't go to church. They didn't read the Bible. They didn't own a Bible. Um, I also talked to a guy, <clears throat> this was about six months ago, and, um, and I was talking with him and his son, and, it, and I, I asked his son, I said, hey, you guys, you guys uh, go to church, don't you? And he said, no. And uh, I was kind of shocked by it, just because I know I have deep conversations with his father about theology stuff, theological stuff. And uh, he goes, I have a Bible, though, but I've never, never read it, is what his son, you know, son said. I don't, I don't know what, uh, what, what kind of house you grew up in. I don't know if Jesus was kind of made forefront for you or if he was kind of forgotten, you know? Um, the house I grew up in, I, I saw my parents reading their Bible, uh, and uh, you know I would attend worship services with them on Sunday mornings, um, and then I, I would go over to my grandparents' house, and my grandpa, he had this like old school thick Bible, like, I didn't know they made them that thick, it was like 6Ks, wasn't that thick, and uh, it had every map you could ever, you know, think about uh, was, was in there, uh, it was crazy, it had like, you know, the map of government buildings in it too, I think, but, uh, uh, but he had, you know, all this thick Bible, and he would, he would read out of this Bible to me all the time. Every time I would go over there, uh, you know, about seven or eight o'clock, he would, he would open up the Bible, and he would start reading the Bible to me, and, uh, and then he would ask me questions about it, you know, and we call it discipleship here in, in the church. Uh, that's what we talk about, you know, when we talk about discipleship. I don't know if you grew up in that kind of house or not. Um, you know, I think for a lot of us, if, if we were given a cabin and a Bible in three hours uh, and nothing else, right, maybe a sofa, you know, to sit on, maybe a, maybe a good uh, sitting chair, you know, um, I, I wonder if we would be engaged in the Word, if we would, if we would want to come to Jesus or if we would uh, be so upset by all the things that we're not getting done, you know? I wonder if we would be so um, just bored because we can't binge a Netflix show, or we can't, you know, scroll through TikTok, or we can't be with our friends. I I wonder if we would find rest in Jesus, or if we would just otherwise be frustrated. There's this quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's uh, it's the very first quote in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. I encourage you to get this book. Um, It's written in a little bit of old English, you know, like it's it's an older book. 
Um, and so you might struggle through it a little bit, <clears throat> but, um, but it's incredible, and uh, it's very thin, by the way, but it just talks about God in this incredible way, this way that we don't often slow down to think about God, right? I mean, like often our lives are just always going and going, and I wonder, going back to that cabin, I wonder if, if we were given that appointment with God, a Bible in an empty cabin, I wonder if we would be excited about it or just otherwise annoyed. Um, there's this thing called a rule of life. Uh, if you've ever heard of a rule of life, raise your hand. It's going to be a few. Okay, just a couple. All right. So a rule of life uh, is this old school thing that uh, we have different, you know, different words for, different names for today. But I'm going to read a little bit. This comes from, uh, from this, this website, Sacred Ordinary Days, um, and, and it just kind of explains a little bit about what a rule of life is. A rule of life is a commitment to live your life in a particular way. It is meant uh, to be crafted with prayer and discernment in partnership, get, that, get this, in partnership with God. I feel like so many times uh, we create our own lives and we never even invite God into those plans. You know what I mean? And, um, and that's why uh, the old quote goes that men make plans and God laughs, you know? Uh, it'd be better if we would invite him into those plans uh, or rather that we would submit to the plans he has for our life. It is meant to be crafted with prayer and discernment in partnership with God as you consider the ways God made you and values or in the values he has inscribed on your heart. Once written, it serves as a tool that can help you make a differ, or, sorry, help you make decisions uh, for your life and determine how best to order your days. How should you order your days? How should you live your life? The first example of a Christian rule of life came from the Desert Fathers. Okay, the Desert Fathers. Now, now don't, don't lose this. They're a monastic uh, community of mystics living in Egypt around the 3rd century AD. I love reading the Desert Fathers. They do some crazy things. And, uh, you know, some of their things, it's, it's like really, really crazy. Like, they'll go to these desolate places, these places that have nothing, and they just pray. Isn't that, oh, it's so crazy. And it does sound crazy to us. But, but, but understand, like, they are mimicking what God, what Jesus modeled for us. Do you know over and over and over in Scripture, it says that Jesus withdrew. He went to a desolate place and he prayed. And so the Desert Fathers, they do this. Um, they're awesome. If you, if you can read about them, read about them. The most well-known rule is the rule of St. Benedict, written 1,500 years ago which was created to help his community of monks translate their faith into the habits and rhythms of their shared daily life. His famous rule has inspired many communities and individuals to develop their own rules with a similar intention. Now listen, we, we don't use the, the, the wording rule of life anymore, okay? This is what we talk about. What we say in America is we say spiritual disciplines, right? We talk about spiritual disciplines. Uh, back in 1978, there was a man, uh, Richard Foster. He wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines. It was then rewritten uh, at, at the 10-year anniversary. And then a 20-year uh, year anniversary came out as well. But this incredible book around spiritual disciplines, you should pick that up, um, it, it kind of lists and it'll talk about these different practices. Now, now, some of these come from his book. Some of these come from other places. But, but listen to this list of spiritual disciplines. Prayer, reading the Bible, rest, generosity, the simple life, 
monks would call this the frugal life. We call it the minimalist life. And I was having a conversation uh, before service with Camille. We were talking about minimalism and frugality in the simple life, you know, uh, what the, the early church fathers called it the simple life. The monks called it the frugal life. We call it the minimal life. It's been around. The idea's been around forever. The difference between minimalism, listen to this. This is, I love this. The difference between minimalism and what the monks called the simple life is that minimalism is all about you. See, the simple life wasn't just about you. It was about how can I live a simple life so that I can love God as much as possible, but with all of that money that I save, I'm not going to travel in the West Coast. I'm going to take care of the poor in my community. I'm going to give to those who are in need. Oh, and also, I'm not going to purchase clothes that are, that are stitched together by slaves. Um, I'm not going to buy products that are, that are put together in a factory by slaves. See, it was, it was out of care for your fellow man and woman that you will never meet, that literally live across the world. And that was the simple life for the minimalists not everybody, but for most minimalists today, uh, we, we live with less things so that we can go do more stuff. You get that? See, the monks, they, they saw it differently. They wanted a simple life financially so that they could take care of other people. Silence and solitude. Remember I talked about the Desert Fathers, how they would withdraw and be silent and pray and be with God? Serving others confession. We don't confess our sins very often, do we? We're okay with the, the, the dark parts of our heart. Um, and I don't say it to shame us. I just, I just say that <clears throat> we need to understand that when we have these sinful parts in our heart, we're okay living with those, right? Um, but confession is huge. And then corporate worship, right here, this, all of us together, worshiping God. Um, I do think, I love digital worship, by the way, and for those of you that are joining us online, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. I also think that there is something to be with your church family uh, in flesh and bone. Almost 1,200 years ago, the Desert Fathers, uh, they started talking about a rule of life. But Solomon, um, he, he actually, years before that, Solomon, and, or, or sorry, excuse me, uh, 1,200 years before the Desert Fathers, Solomon starts talking about these things that will later be turned into a rule of life. He gives us three things for us to re-correct or, or, or just correct to, to kind of rewrite the future of our spiritual lives so that they're more in tune with the creator that created us. And so today we're going to read that. Um, at Redemption, <clears throat> if it's your first time here, just know that we always go to the table of contents to start, okay? And, uh, and so we do that together. So you can go to your, your Bibles or your digital uh, phones or whatever. You can go to the table of contents. And the reason we do that is because we know that everybody is coming in here with various backgrounds around uh, the Bible. And it's really easy to find books when you go to the table of contents first. So we're going to go to uh, table of contents. And then we're going to go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. It's the really long E word that looks weird, right? Ecclesiastes. And it's going to be in the Old Testament that we're going to be looking at. And, uh, and again, this just gives some, some background to this. Um, this was written by Solomon. It, he's, not, he's not labeled as the actual author, um, but it also says that it's the son of David. There's a bunch of other things that uh, refer to him as king and as the teacher and stuff, which are uh, different titles that he had. 
We're going to be going to the end of Ecclesiastes, specifically to, um, to chapter 12. <clears throat> this is the very end of the book. And um, if you haven't, I encourage you to, to, to dive into Ecclesiastes and read through the whole book, because it's going to give you a lot of wisdom for our lives today. Okay, so we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 1. And I'm just going to kind of read a smattering of different of these verses. We're going to kind of jump around a bit, but uh, we're going to start out here with verses 1 through 4. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him. In your youth, before you grow old and you say, life is not pleasant anymore. I feel like... I feel like, uh, I just, just thought this the other day, uh, and I'm young, but um, I was looking back on my early 20s, and I said, man, I'm living life with more purpose now than I was then. Um, I'm, I'm living life with more intentionality. Um, I got my head screwed on a little straighter. I've learned some lessons, but man, uh, there was this, this just, just um, you know, intangible feeling of life that I had in my early 20s that I may not ever recapture. I think Scripture knows that. God knows that. Scripture is talking about this, right? When you say life is not, <clears throat> not pleasant anymore, as, as you get older, things change. Remember him, verse 2, remember him before the light of the sun, the moon, the stars is dim to your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Verse 3, remember him before your legs, the guards of your house, I love this, po this poetry, the guards of your house start to tremble. And before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth. Your few remaining servants stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. In verse 8, he says, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. In verse 13 and 14, that's the whole story. I love that. That's the whole story. He, listen, he writes this entire book. He talks about wisdom and foolishness and, and how we should reorient our life. He talks about priorities and how we can get the simple life, how we can follow God with everything that we are. He says it's, you know, most of the stuff in the world, it's meaningless, completely meaningless. And then he gets to this and he goes, that's the whole story. That's it. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. We've said this before, but I, I want to reiterate it that Solomon is the wisest man in the world, right? Scripture says that, that, that there was no one like him before and there, were, there, were, there was no one like him after. Um, you know, most people would say that next to Jesus Christ, he's the wisest person to ever live. And when he says, here's my final conclusion, we have to listen. We have to listen to a man like this, and this is what he says. <clears throat> Fear God. Obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. And that's it. He signs off. Sayonara. See you later. 
What's crazy about this is throughout this book, he talks about this. He talks about the wisdom of these things. He talks about the wisdom of wisdom. That's an interesting thing, you know, kind of conundrum. It's kind of like the Leonardo DiCaprio Inception movie, right? He talks about the wisdom of wisdom. He talks about the wisdom of pleasure, the wisdom of work and time, justice, winning, political power, wealth. He talks about all these things. And when he gets to the end, he concludes with this, that everything is meaningless, completely meaningless, except for three things. He says seven times over, remember God. Seven times, remember God, remember God, remember God, remember God, remember God, remember God, remember God. He, he doesn't want you to forget to remember God. And how quickly do we forget to remember God? Then he says, fear God and obey his commands. I love what Solomon does because he takes us back to the bottom line. And the bottom line is that when it comes to spiritual maturity, often the path to go forward is to go back to the beginning. It's to go to the beginning, to, to remember the original reason that you ever decided to follow God. For those of you that do follow Jesus who are here tonight, um, I, wonder, I wonder what that is for you. Why did you decide to follow Jesus? What was it in your heart? What did he do in your life? What did he save you from? I think when I uh, dwell on that, um, the list, it's like, a, it's like a cartoon, you know? Like a scroll, it's like a never-ending scroll of things that God has saved me from. I wonder what that's like for you. But these things, remember him, fear God, obey his commandments. How are you doing with these things? Uh, were they stronger when you were younger? Have they grown uh, weak as you grow older? Have you forgotten the God of your youth, the one who saved you, who pulled you out of things? whose love poured out for you on the cross? Do you, do you forget him? Or is God doing something new in your life? Is God awaking the spirit that he put inside of you? Is he doing something new and special in your life? You can feel it. It's not, it's not something you wish. It's not something you hope for. Though one day before you did wish for it, you did hope for it. But now you can feel it. It's like a tingle in your bones. and You're getting excited that, that this year you know that God's doing something incredible in your life. And you're just ready for it. You're waiting for him. And you're, you're ready to dive in headlong, body and all. We're going, we're going deep. We're going to the deep. Me and God, he's going to do huge things in my life this year. Is that how you feel? How are you doing with these things? Remember God. How are you remembering him? You know, I, I think the thing that God's teaching me more than anything in my life right now is that for me to remember God, I have to slow down. I, I can't go at this frenetic pace. I can't, I can't, I can't be, be speeding from this place to that. Uh, I'm reading this book right now uh, called Dream Big by Bob Goff. And, uh, and in the book... Um, he, he talks about your ambitions and, and what, what are your ambitions for, for the next part of your life and, and, and who uh, or how is God working in your ambitions, right? But in that, he talks about this. He talks about the people 
that have, have the most value in your life, the people that love you the most, the people that you care for the most, the people that you want to be most like, they don't have the most trophies, they don't have the best cars, they don't have the best house, they don't have the coolest vacations, they don't have the newest gadgets, they're people that are available. They're present with you. It doesn't matter the things they've accumulated. Are they with you? Are they present? And, you know, I think when it comes to God, um, he's not impressed with our stuff. He's not impressed with our titles. He's not impressed with our ambitions unless maybe they line up with the kingdom. And even then, he's going, you know what? With or without you, like, I got this thing. You're not, you're not the master builder of this. I am. You just get to labor with me. But I think, I think God's really impressed when we're present with him, when we remember him, and when we're present with others, when we love them. Do you fear God? <clears throat> It's really interesting, Solomon, he talks about fearing God. He says, he says that, that this is my conclusion, like you need to fear God. Well, it's such an interesting thing because we think of fear and we think it's a really bad thing that like no matter what, fear just needs to be defeated. All fear gone, all fear bad. We've become so simplistic, so polarized. It's either this or it's that. There's never a middle ground. Get real. Are you kidding me? Of course, there's always a middle ground. And when it comes to fearing God, we're talking about the fear that a child has. Like when, when, when my dad, when my dad was coming home, I did something wrong. Like you better bet. There was fear in my bones. I was like, I, man, my butt is getting tanned when I get home or when my dad gets home. Like I'm going to get a whooping, right? Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's not 2021, but yeah, it was, uh, it was great. It was great to fear my dad in the best possible way. And, and listen, I, you know, at the end of the day, like I, I, I didn't, uh, turn my heart away from my father. In fact, I, I just turned towards him. Um, and so do you fear God? And, and, there's this, there's this moment in the, the, the books, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. It's in the second book. It's in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. By the way, this past week, we sent out an email. We told you musicals and stuff and things that I've been cast in, and uh, just as a plug to get you to, to text back, and we had you guess which, um, which roles I had been cast in. Uh, first of all, I, I unintentionally lied to you. Uh, I was never in The Lion King. What I was thinking was Wizard of Oz. I played the lion, and uh, so I gave you the wrong, wrong uh, musical there. But, um, but anyway, one of the musicals that I was cast in was actually uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and nobody guessed correctly, I was actually cast as Miss, uh, Mr. Beaver. So in this, um, in this musical, uh, or in the book, rather, <clears throat> there's this moment where Susan, one of the children, she's speaking with this man, Mr. Beaver, and, uh, and, and this interaction kind of ensues, and we're going to put it up on the screen here. Mr. Beaver, he says this, he says, Aslan is a lion. Oh, by the way, let me pause. If you don't know Aslan, Aslan is like this like godlike figure in the book. He's a lion. There you go. He's a king. He's a lion, but he's this godlike figure. Okay. Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel, feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And when we think about God, we conflate these two things, right? 
That, that, that God is good and he's safe. No, 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 no. Don't confuse those two things. He's not safe, but he's good. See, see God is, uh, he's as fierce as he is loving. He has as much righteous anger that will be used and poured out as much as he has loving compassion oozing out of who he is. It's a perfect blend. He's, he's not safe, but he's good. And my question is this, do you fear God enough to not make God into your image? I'm going to say it again. I want you to, if you want to, write it down. But do you fear God enough to not make God into your image? See, Scripture says that we were made in the image of God. And what happens often is that when it comes to God uh, in our culture, we go through Scripture, we, we, we read something that we don't like, and I get it, like, hey, guys, I'm the pastor here, I'm the lead guy, and uh, I've been, you know, doing this thing for a while, and, uh, and, you know, I've been following Jesus most of my life, and, and I come across things in the Bible almost on a weekly basis that I don't like. I'm serious. There are actually a couple things in Scripture that I would say I almost hate. Seriously. I'm also wise enough to know that I can't change God. And so it doesn't matter what I think about those things. What matters is this. Do I fear God enough to not try to make God into my image, but rather will I do the hard work and the heart work to make my life look more like his? Can I make myself look more like the image of God rather than trying to take a holy, perfect God and put him into a box that he will never fit in? And I promise you this. If you're doing that, one, you should be afraid. You should, I'm serious about that. You should be really afraid. But the second thing is this. If you create God in your image, that salvation that you're trusting in will never pan out. I was talking to a, a waitress at a, at a restaurant, and she said, I, I go there a lot, right, before COVID, not so much anymore. I mean, um, but, but I said to her, I said, um, hey, you, you know I'm a pastor. And she's like, oh, yeah. And I said, you should really come to our church sometime. Like, I would love for you to come. She goes, I'm not really a church person. I go, that's fine. You should come to our church. And, uh, and, and, and I say this, by the way, all the time, uh, because typically when people think of church, again, they think really stuffy and, you know, uh, just super judgmental and all these things. And, and so I just said, hey, no, really, you should come to our church. I guarantee you it'll be a different experience. I'd love for you to come. And so I, I just wanted to get to the bottom of it. And I said, Ashley, can I, can I just ask you a question? She goes, yeah, sure. And uh, I said, what do you believe about Jesus? Like what, like, what do you really believe? What do you believe about God? And she goes, I believe that when I die, I'm going to become a bird. And I go, you don't really believe that. And she goes, yeah, you're right, I don't. <laughs> and I go, but do you kind of believe it? And she goes, I believe that whatever I want to become, I become that. And I go, so you believe you're God? And she goes, huh? And I go, well, if there is a God. So we get into this whole like, conversation. And so at the end of it, she goes, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't think that checks out. At my table, she's like having this theological, she's like, I don't think that really checks out. I go, no, it, it actually doesn't check out. Like philosophically, it doesn't check out. And I said, I would love for you to come. And then COVID hit literally like the next week. And uh, anyway, I've been praying for Ashley. I hope she, uh, hope she comes one day. If you're creating God in your own image, instead of you being created and, and, and further refined to look like him, 
You should, you should feel fear. You should legitimately be afraid. That's a healthy fear. And then the last one, obey his commandments. Friends, I, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't, I don't, I don't know what that, that sin is that is just a poison to your soul. I don't know what kind of detox you need to go on to get out of that thing, whatever it is. Um, but the wisest man in the world says, remember God, obey his commands. Sorry, remember God, fear God, obey his commands. That's his conclusion. That's the whole story. Sometimes the path forward in spiritual maturity is to go back to the beginning. I'm going to call a friend of mine up. Uh, his name is Connor McEnroy. And uh, so Connor um, is a guy that he's been coming here for uh, over a year, and, uh, or just, just about a year. What's the date today? Today's the 17th. So Connor, Connor's uh, been coming to Redemption just shy of a year, <clears throat> but kind of crazy story. Connor has a cool story. Uh, we, we launched this church, by the way, January 26th, and it was the next week that Connor ended up um, driving past the church, and I think, um, uh, if I'm correct, you were driving to another church, right? Yeah, yeah okay, you can, you can come over here, uh, and uh, just so you're in, in, we have these like lines of tape on the, on the floor, you see those? I didn't tell you about those. Yeah, no, it's fine. No, 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 you have to be within them. Yeah, because it's like, we're filming, and so, yeah, it's a camera thing. Anyway, uh, where was I? I don't know. Anyway, I'm telling your story. Okay, so Connor, um, uh, let's make sure that mic works. Pull it up. Hello. It works. Okay, so Connor, he, he was driving past our church, and, uh, and he saw, like, our signs and stuff. And so he turns around, and he comes back, and, uh, and this, this cat, he sneaks in the back. He just sits down. And uh, he's in the back, and I'm, I'm sitting there looking at him, I'm like, okay, like, like he's, he, he wasn't here last week, I haven't met this guy yet, and uh, I beeline for him towards the end, right, or where he was, he's gone, he's like a, you know, he's like a ghost, he's vanished, and I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll pray for, you know, for the, for the unnamed guy, hopefully he comes back. Second week, he comes back, and uh, <clears throat> I started talking to him afterwards, and, um, and you put on your connect card, right, you put, I want to be discipled, yeah. that's right. Yeah, speaking to the mic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, so first, I just want to say this. Everyone, you guys have Connect cards. You guys got them as you came in. Uh, I would love for you, as we're telling the story, if you're going, hey, you know what? Like, that is me. I, I want to be discipled. Like, I want to know more about Jesus. Put that on your card. On the way out, there's the, uh, out there on a table, there's like a cash box. Put it in the cash box. Um, and uh, so anyway... Connor puts that on there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to disciple this guy. And so we start hanging out, um, and essentially, COVID hit pretty, pretty soon, and so we ended up doing digitally, right? Yeah, yeah, about a week after COVID hit. Yeah, and so we started Zooming, and, uh, and, and that's kind of how we've done this uh, since, since COVID has, has started. And, and, and typically, we're about every, every week or every other week. Yeah, about every week for about an hour. Yeah, for about an hour. And, um, and so anyway, we're, you know, we're connected. We're reading the Bible together. And uh, by the way, if you don't know this, you can go on our website, and there's an actual like, tab on there underneath the Grow tab. It says, it says discipleship, and there's a whole plan on there. I'd love to walk you through on how to do that for someone else or how, how you can be discipled yourself, and, and, and we'll connect you with someone. But last week, uh, we, were, we were reading the Bible together, and I would love for you, Connor, just in your own words, just kind of share... Uh, what, what you said um, towards the end of our time together last week. Yeah, so uh, last week, me and Corey were really talking about uh, what we talked about a lot today during church is living your life the right way. And me and him were talking that before I got saved, I was 
pretty much living my life the only way I wanted to live. So I would go out and do whatever I wanted to do and then have God as like a safety net and just to make sure all my bases were covered if things went really bad for me. And so through my time of reading the Bible with Corey, it's been right about a year. And for the first six months, I just read the Bible with Corey and not by myself. And then these last six months, I really started getting into the Bible by myself. And this really taught me a lot of things. But the number one thing that it taught me was that I had to change my life in a way to live more like God instead of making God like the center of my life. So it's been a real process because I've been learning how to relive my life. And at 24, uh, that's not the easiest thing to do. And so it's been a lot of things with not just sustaining from things, but donating your time and your energy and your money to learning more about God, but then to also helping others. So the whole process has been great in the year because it's really taught me a lot of things and that healthy fear of realizing that I don't control God, God controls me. And that was a big point that it took a long time to get to. Man, these mics are expensive, so I don't want you to mic drop, but, you know, like, that's, like, that's, that's good. So, okay, th- th- this is essentially what he said. Th- th- this is, I, I, as soon as we were having this conversation, I wrote down, like, exactly what he said, as I could remember. He said, it's like I'm learning to live again in a different way. That's what the Bible does for us. It's, it's like we learn again in a different way. Give it up for Connor. Thanks, Connor. <clears throat> In the spirit of uh, returning to the beginning in order uh, to move forward in our spiritual maturity, uh, I just want to bring us back to a verse. We didn't read it today. Um, it wasn't part of our sermon. But I, but I want us all to stand, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this verse because I think that this verse is, is one that early in your life gripped your heart as someone who decided to follow Jesus. If this is the first time that you're ever hearing this verse, I want it to wash over you like love. And if you haven't heard this verse in even just a couple of days, I want it to be etched on your heart. John 3.16. So funny, I was just thinking, today's a big big day for playoffs in the NFL, and there's probably John 3.16 signs all over the place. Let's remove the cultural cliche of this verse. Like, let's hear the truth of it. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Redemption, we love you so much. Uh, thanks for coming. Hey, if I have not met you yet, I'm going to be out in the lobby. I would love to meet you, and so I'm going to jet out there, and I'd love to say hello. Uh, we always say this here at Redemption, a church that lingers lasts, and so we would encourage you to linger with one another, but again, make sure your masks are up, and let's be respectful of one another. I love you guys, and we'll see you next week.